Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and this is Made with Love. As a pro diver, I thought I knew all about making the thing you love the thing you do. But en route to the Olympic podium, I found a new passion outside of the pool that helped me unlock my power within it. That passion was knitting. And you may think this sounds bonkers, but I believe knitting made me an Olympic champion. I've since swapped swimming trunks for slip stitches, pikes for patterns, and chlorine for cables. Knitting is a huge part of my life now, and I'm determined to help others do more of what they love too. So each week, a brilliant guest will be joining me to talk about turning passion into purpose, how they've made the thing they love a central part of what they do, and crucially, what lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Tom Daly, and I'm so happy you've joined me for the very first episode of my new podcast, Made With Love. And man, are we kicking things off in style today. I'm not even going to pretend to play it cool because when global icon Shania Twain says yes to coming on the podcast and being the first guest, that does impress me much. (laughs) How can you not be giddy with excitement? I mean, come on. But here comes the official bit where I tell you exactly how impressive she is. Canadian-born Shania, whose real name is actually Eileen, is the biggest selling female country artist of all time. Between 1995 and 2002, she released three albums back to back, which all went diamond. That means they sold over 10 million copies. We have a second album, Come On Over, to thank for smash hits like Man, I Feel Like a Woman. That don't impress me much. And from this moment on, in fact, it was so full of bangers that 12 of the 16 tracks on that record were released as singles. And it is still the world's biggest selling studio album by a solo female ever. I mean, like, come on, it's just incredible. Shania Twain was smashing boundaries for country artists and kicking doors down for female singer-songwriters before we even knew what a trailblazer was. But the road was not always a smooth one for Shania. She's overcome tragedy, betrayal and even open neck surgery to keep doing the things she loves and bring us the music we love. We're going to talk about what this has taught her and so much more. So let's go, girls. You have no idea how excited I am to have the actual Shania Twain on the Made With Love podcast. I just want to say massive welcome and how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to talk to you. It's uh, my first show, so it's super exciting. And I think, first of all, I'd love to talk about the new album. All I can say is, wow. And, I mean, what was the inspiration behind it? Yay. No, I'm glad, <laughs> it, I'm glad it makes you smile. You know, the inspiration behind the album was to 
pick up my own spirits, you know, take charge, responsibility of cheering myself up and uh, keeping myself in a positive frame of mind, stay optimistic. And that self-control of even recognizing when it's time to kind of like, okay, time to cheer up. You know, the weight of COVID is getting really heavy and all the worries and concerns that we've all had through that time over our family and our friends and and just and the world. So my go-to was writing songs. I didn't have much else to do. You know, we were <laughs> isolated a lot, confined a lot. So I went, you know, alone with my guitar and I just used that time as therapy to write lyrics that made me laugh and made me smile and use tempos that made me want to dance to get myself more in that happy to be alive kind of thing and and not let myself get too down. So all of the songs are very much about, you know, accepting you can't change what's happening, but you have to take charge of how you manage it in your own mind, how it affects you. You've got to turn things around. You've got to turn your thinking around sometimes. So it was a lot of reflection. Yeah. I mean, the world needs a party album. And some of those songs on there are just, I get so excited about hearing them out at bars as well in particular and I know that in the LGBT community you are an icon for sure and I just know that in particular Pretty Liar the gays are going to absolutely love it I must say <laughs> it's that I, I was listening to it in the gym and I was just like oh my gosh this is it this is the new this is the new soundtrack for me it's so amazing awesome. this is what my gay friends say too it, it connected with me and also best friend on the album all of the lyrics in there it was just really meant something to me as well when I think about my best friends was there someone in particular that this was wrote with in mind I was thinking about my youth and all of the you know when I was young it always seemed as if I was the kind of person that really only had one friend at a time I was never a group social girl I spent most of my time singing in in bands, I, I, my, most of my time was spent making music. So I, I usually only had the one, you know, one girlfriend or sometimes it was a guy. And in that, we got, we were very close friends. You know, when you only have that one friend, you become really, really, really close. And you go through all those experiences together. That's the person that you end up, you know, crying with, getting drunk with, and, you know, all the first things you do that are, childish, stupid sometimes, but just so memorable and stay with you forever. And that person that looks out for you, you look out for them. And I was inspired to write that and reflecting on how great it is to just have that one person in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's so special. And I also loved Queen of Me. That was another song in the album that I was just like, people are going to go absolutely wild for it. I mean, you write music for such a wide demographic all of the lyrics are so empowering and just so relatable and I think that one in particular really I don't know hit home for me like you know who cares like it's just empowering to be who you want to be and you are enough and you are strong and it really felt it's like a warm hug to everyone where you just feel like you are everyone's biggest cheerleader which is really special do you write thinking like that or do you just it just naturally happens that you want to lift everybody up oh i feel like that like it's a genuine sincere all of my attitudes and my genuine personality go into my songs the songs that i'm gonna sing myself you know and Queen of Me is a statement song. It is definitely me setting boundaries for myself. 
of, okay, here's where, here's where you determine your lines, your lines of protection, your lines of even how far you can go, your independence, determining how far or what your independence is to you, what that means. A lot of it is was, was just identifying who you are and then how you go about being that in the real world and avoiding labels. You know, I would never enjoy writing a song where I could not speak my mind. I just don't want to write those songs. I mean, you definitely opened up and freed and inspired so many people over your like incredible music career. I watched your documentary on Netflix and was just blown away by the woman that you are and how strong you are. And for me, I'm excited to see you tour again. Are, are you excited about touring again and being back in the UK? Absolutely. You know, the most special thing about touring is reuniting with the fans that you've been communicating with. You know, they've, they'll have had the music for a little time and it's, and then of course there's all the classics. So it's a reunion to sing together and, uh, and look at each, you know, I just love people watching when I'm there. Those guys want to see who's there. You know, as far as I can see, I focus a lot on that. And I like to meet some of the people, you know, as many as I can. So I'll be bringing some people on stage. It's just about being together again. It's so exciting. And you've obviously spent so much time on the road, uh, touring and traveling. What is it that keeps you happy when you're on the road? What is the one thing you maybe take with you or the thing that you like to do to be able to pass time between shows? Well, I don't do anything between shows because I have to be very strict with my voice. So I stay isolated and I eat really well. It's a very disciplined period for me being on tour. So it's not the most fun. My liberation is when I get on stage and then I get to steal the fans. That's yes. that's my outing, right? Like that's my night out, which is which is fine. I don't, you know, I I think that's really great fun. And I guess like the way an athlete, you know, athletes yeah. have you when they're in a final. You know, you've just got to hone down and be very strict and stick to your routine. Uh, no partying, at least not for me. And uh, taking good care of my voice and my my energy. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like for me as an athlete, going and diving in the competition is like the exciting part, but there's a pit where you have to be most disciplined. And I assume that's the same for you when you go on tour and you're doing these shows. That's your like the moment that you've been working hard for. You've done all the time in the studio and now it's time to show the world what you've created. That's it. And you want to, you know that in order to perform your best, you have to take the best care of yourself. That's how I treat it. So that's why I refer to athleticism. Um, I know that you guys have to do that. I, there's no, um, you know, you've got coaches obviously making sure that you, you know, that you stay within the lines and, and stick to your routine. But it does take so much self-discipline and there's a lot of sacrifice in that because in all of those weeks and months, everybody else is living normal life and, you know, having fun and you're, you're honing down on your skills and super focused you're you're focused only on being your best so that is what i do all of the tour as well so we probably live quite similar daily yes. schedules <laughs> i can imagine i want to take you all the way back to when it all began let's say when did you first realize or when did other people start recognizing that you had an amazing voice i was three years old when my mother realized that i had some odd obsession with my voice. I would hum in harmony to nursery rhymes. 
I didn't know the words yet, I was only three, but I would hum the melody in harmony. And I would play a lot with resonance in my, in my face, my neck, and my head, humming melodies. So she knew that this was definitely unusual. And then when I really started singing along with songs, with lyrics, you know, by the time I was five, she was putting me up on countertops in restaurants and just because she really figured I could sing and people would applaud. And so I guess I, you know, I didn't know. I was, I was just enjoying the singing. She was already, though, aware that there was a talent. How did that make you feel, singing and performing in front of people at a young age? Was it exciting or is it something that was, you know, for me, like when I was diving, I used to absolutely love getting out onto the diving boards and competing because I was doing it from seven years old. But at, at five, what was that like for you? Still by at five years old, I was still enjoying it. I didn't mind. I thought it was quite amusing and I could pick the song. They, you know, my mom would say, you know, what song do you want? And I would pick something that I like to sing to. And I didn't feel awkward about it on the dining table, you know, just having a little bit of fun with one of my favorite songs. Uh, it wasn't until I was eight that my parents started bringing me to local bars to get some stage, proper stage performance with an audience experience. And this changed everything because I was very intimidated and uncomfortable with the environment, um, mostly because when you, if you, a child, a minor can go into an alcohol premises, but they have to be there after mid, like from midnight only when the last call has already been announced so that they're technically not serving alcohol anymore. But by that time I'm going in, I'm entertaining the customers who've ordered their last call. So now they've got another hour or so of drinking to still do that it's sitting on their table and they're already intoxicated anyway because they've been there all night. So I was entertaining to a crowd that was pretty much drunk the whole time and I had to navigate my way through that as far as keeping their attention, right? Um, I'm not, how am I going to do that? I'm this little eight-year-old. <laughs> <It's, laughs> so I learned so much. It was a really good education. It was the beginning of how to, you know, me learning how to perform and engage with an audience. I mean, some of the guys were like, what is she doing up there? Like, this is, you know, like, they, they also thought it was weird and, and didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, the, my voice came out and I won them over. I was always, I always had a great collection of songs. I knew all the songs that they would love to hear. But of course, I wasn't relating to them with anything. They, of course, saw me as a child. So I, I felt insecure about it, but I, you know, I got better and better and better at it, but I never enjoyed it. It was never... It always intimidated me, and it always made me feel that I didn't belong there. So for the skills that I learned, it was good. For the stage fright, however, it created something very challenging to overcome for many, many, many years into my career. And with all of that practice, you started writing songs at a very young age as well, if I'm not mistaken. What kind of things were you writing about at that time? I started writing songs at 10 and I would write songs about love, you know. I w my mother never drank alcohol, but for some reason I just thought I would write this song, uh, Ma and Her Wine, <laughs> which was just 
me using my imagination. My mother was fairly a depressed person, so there was no alcohol or any drugs or anything like that to have set her into that mode. It was just life circumstances. But I went, I decided that I would use alcohol as the reason for why she was so depressed. And another one, you know, um, there's another one about my mother come out to play. We were always out, we were kids, we were always outside playing, and I only ever saw my mother through the window watching us play. She was never out there playing with us. Um, so that was quite a sad song. And then I wrote another song about fairy tales and other ones about roses. I mean, very innocent, juvenile sort of things, but they were the beginnings of me putting together song structure. And I was listening to, you know, the storytelling of Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and Dolly Parton. You know, they were they were the great storytellers of my youth. They were my educators. So I guess it's like using songwriting as well as almost like a way of being able to get some of the creativity out and being able to get any of your concerns or worries out. And would you write onto paper? Would you just jam on a guitar? Because I know you learned how to play guitar at a young age as well. Yeah, so the age, I started guitar at eight. I would write all my lyrics down on a paper, but I had a little cassette player that I would record and sing into for all the chord progressions and tempos and stuff. And music did start as an escape for me. Writing started as an escape for me right away and still is my escape. Then there's there's two escapisms I guess I use. And one is, you know, if I'm upset uh, and I need to to just escape you know I need to get into another frame of mind um, I, I go alone with my guitar somewhere and I just uh, let my imagination go and take me somewhere else literally and I can create my own scenario in the moment and then the other one is just plain getting bored I wrote so much music during COVID because there was much less activity going on in my daily life than than normal I was writing like crazy. I probably wrote three or four albums worth of music during COVID. You know, so part of it was I was bored. What am I going to do? And then when I sat down to write, that made me feel productive and active. And then the fact that the world was under such a heavy cloud is when I then started using it as, as the therapy to change my mindset into a more positive space. I knew I had the tool. You know, creative writing is absolutely my tool. I feel so lucky that I have that. I can turn to it. It's medicinal. So yeah, um, anything that I'd written with that intention of lifting myself up ended up on the album. And we both share a similar experience in terms of we both had quite a life-changing or life-defining moment. For me, it happened when I was 17 years old. I lost my dad to a brain tumour And my dad was my biggest cheerleader. He came to every single training session, every diving competition and was there for me every single step of the way. And he never got to see me ever win an Olympic medal, never got to see me drive. He never got to go down the pub for like a pint when I turned 18. And I found it extremely difficult to figure out what was going to be next, how I was going to continue. And I threw myself into diving more than I ever had before because I felt like I had to do something in his memory. And I know you lost your parents when you were 22. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about how that impacted your life? Well, I love hearing your story. I think the fact that it motivated you more 
to be even better and made you even more focused and less distracted than anything was such a, a fabulous channel for you. And you know, I mean, not everybody does that. It could can do the exact opposite for people. So at your young age, bravo, that is so fabulous. And I, I really congratulate you on that, taking charge of your own mindset and, and deciding that that was where you were going to put your energy. In my case, I, I had a slightly different twist to it because I had been doing music or the music my mother wanted me to do for so young. The minute they brought me into those bars, I didn't want to be on stage anymore. I decided, like, I hated it. And I just wanted to stay in my solitary spaces, write music, and enjoy the creative writing part of it. When my parents died, it was like, okay, now I actually don't have to do this anymore if I don't want. I can do so many things. I wanted to be an engineer, you know, I wanted to be a vet. There were things I wanted to do, but I I could never quit music. Like the, being a performer, I could never quit. I would never have quit making music. I, that's like a, a passion. I mean, I, that is not work to me at all. But I didn't want to be on the stage. So when they died, I'm, I, I really considered giving up on being a performer. And uh, I felt sort of free, like there had been a weight lifted off about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. But I realized that now at 22, all my other friends, anybody in school with me, were already well on their way and almost graduating from whatever it is they were going to do with their life. And so I was already behind. Plus, I had kids now. I had responsibilities that none of my other friends had. So it felt like, first of all, I had to earn money, more money than ever, because now I've got a family. And my friend said, there's a job. It's a performing job, but it pays really well. I couldn't refuse it. It was just, you know, it wasn't too far away. I did have to move the kids. It's still a lot of work, still a lot of responsibility, but it paid enough money that I could get a mortgage for a house and keep the kids safe. So I took it, and I decided that I would use that as a stepping stool to try to get a recording contract. Because if I got a recording contract, I would at least be able to take all the years that I'd invested in my skills and my songwriting. Songwriting belongs on records. I didn't know what to expect out of the rest of it, but I just went for it and, and said, this is sort of my only chance, otherwise I'm going to have to... I don't know what I'm going to do after this. This is all I know, right? So I was very quickly accepted and I impressed, you know, the few Nashville people that were able to manage me a record deal. And it all went fairly quickly after that. So there was no turning back. And then the next creative thing that got me very excited was that I was immediately very, very involved in directing my own videos. So now here's another creative platform that I can explore, like songwriting, that is really fun. I really enjoy it. Now all I got to do is get over this fear of actually getting out on the stage and performing it. And I suffered through that for many, many years. It was very hard. But the train just kept rolling, you know, and I took the good with the bad. And I still do. But I enjoy that. Now I'm enjoying the performing with a completely different mindset. And I'm finally lucky for that. What do you think 23-year-old Eileen would say if in that moment to see how far you've come now and 
being Shania Twain and the success and what you have made for you and your family is an extremely long lasting legacy. What do you think your 23 year old self would say? I certainly at 23 would not have imagined that this was ever going to, you know, rise to such a level. No way. At 23, I was, my idea of success was, and I was determined to do this, but my idea of success was, you know, to be able to buy everybody in the family a new car, you know, so that everybody was safe in their car. Our parents died from a car accident at the same time. So to me, it was like, I want everybody to have a safe car. I want everybody to have a roof over their head. Everyone to be able to eat every week without any anxiety, knowing that they've got enough food in their house. Basics, that is already huge success. That would have made me very happy. And, you know, to be able to just create music and live off that was luxury. That would have been all I ever wanted. So I wasn't expecting that it would ever get to a fame scenario. That I wasn't really ready for and all and all that that entailed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Did it feel intimidating to sign, you know, that first deal? And was there anyone like in particular helping you? I was very ready to make it by this time because I had already spent a couple of years uh, raising the kids till they were of majority age. So I'd, I'd already, I had already lost a couple of years there and I w- had been putting demos together. I'd written a bunch of songs. I was poised to get in the studio and make a record. I was very confident in uh, what I was doing. I had been on stage singing every day, working live shows. I was not just coming out of a performing arts school. I was the real thing. I was, and again, you know, I was writing all these songs. I had a catalog built up. So no, I was totally ready to get going. And nothing at that point, especially having no stability in my personal life, um, have had, had it gone through so many sacrifices and everything. I was ready. I was not intimidated. I'd studied for my exam and I was going in there knowing that I was going to get it. I was going to do it. That did not scare me at all. And one thing that really struck me watching the documentary as well, being a woman in the country music world seemed to throw so many challenges and imbalances between men and women and how you were treated, what was expected of you. Did you ever find it difficult to have your creative voice heard in that way? I did, but I had two people. I had Nora Wilson, who was a producer, 
and I had Cannons, the Cannons, the, the, their lovely family, uh, Billy and Buddy Cannon. Buddy Cannon was ended up at A&R on the label. Once I was coming out with my the, the Woman in Me album, he wasn't prior to that, but he was very much a part of helping me uh, along with Nora Wilson. And they would take me shopping for songs. The head of the label wasn't convinced that I was writing con- songs that were country enough, so Buddy and uh, Nora would help me try to narrow down the best songs for my voice that were being written in town. And they were exceptional human beings. They were two men that took me under their wing as a daughter and, you know, would feed me. They would take me out for meals and bring me to their house and feed me. It was just, without them, I would have been a lot more lost. And that gave me a safer feeling that I could be in this whole new world, still be myself, and they, would, they were so helpful, you know, they would say, you know, you talk a little fast, you should slow down a little bit. And, uh, you know, they would coach me, don't swear, you swear too much. And, you know, <laughs> coming, I was just very much like a typical person from my hometown, you know, at that time anyway, swore a lot. So they, you know, they were coaching me into how to not be offensive in this town, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it was like quite a, quite a learning curve. But later then you met Mutt. And that was another big changing moment in your career as well. And being able to find that creative partner as well as getting married and being able to do something that you love to do. That was create music every single day. How was that relationship? Well, the creative relationship was a magical one. And obviously, you know, it it created tons of, you know, classic music. We were two people that could just make music all day every day so we were both very very like the time of the day was irrelevant we were both just so committed and obsessed about music so this was our we were a great match we complemented each other with our different skill sets he was a very good musician and then you know my role was just you know dealing with melody and you know more of the top line writing and the lyrics and uh the story concept and all that kind of thing so we were just both strong writers and then he was a uh, an excellent producer, so created these great tracks, and it all just clicked. It was a good hybrid of rock and country and pop, and that was also a new sound that didn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, the, the sound revolutionized the way that people saw country music and pop and rock and what was even possible. Is there a particular part of creating music and being in the studio or whether it is writing away from the studio? Like, what is your favorite part of the creative process? Just sitting, um, sitting alone really is my favorite part. It's just sitting alone and digging into my brain, reflecting and trying to puzzle things together. It's, it's fun for me. It's, it is like a puzzle almost, you know, if like if you're obsessed with Rubik's Cubes, you know, that, that feeling of you can't put it down until you solve it. That's how I am with songwriting, you know, because mm. there's so many possibilities. There's so many ways the song could go. And that, that huge uh, realm of possibilities. And then you add imagination. I mean, you are now, you know, you've really got to spend time working this out and, and getting it right. So it's fun. And every time I start a new song, it's a, ho- a whole other world comes in. It's, it starts all over again. It never gets repetitive. So it's, it's fun. I guess I would say it's entertaining. 
I mean, I love the way that you also have like humor in your songs as well with like, don't impress me much, man, I feel like a woman and being able to almost say kind of like suck it to the people that think that I can't say this and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to be my own person. Was that a conscious decision or is that something that you just felt like this is me, this is what I want to do? Well, first of all, in the songwriting space, it's the safest zone, right? So it's a no no judgment zone. You're just there. You say whatever you want. You, you, you say it as it comes out. And your self-expression is, is just very liberated. It's just perfectly, you know, can do no wrong experience. This is where all of these fun, uh, cheeky, edgy attitudes come out in the lyrics. And then as I'm putting the song together, so I, I never stop myself from doing that. Once I decide that it's going to actually be uh, structured into a song, because sometimes I'll write these things down as concepts as well. They'll go on and on and on and whatever. They're just like musical parts. Once I start uh, honing in on the song structure, I'm realizing, okay, I'll probably want to record this song. And what do I got to do to make it relatable to as many people as possible? Because the goal of recording and sharing the music for me is if it can relate to as many people as possible, then I'm successful because I'm not writing it just for myself. Now I'm writing it so that everybody understands what I'm saying and what I'm trying to get across. And that's a different skill again. So now the, the song goes through a different skill set of telling a story that people also can laugh with you on or get sassy on or that join you in the spirit of the song. Absolutely. I mean, even for me, the beginning of Man, I Feel Like a Woman, as soon as I hear, dun, 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 I am on the table before you've, even, <laughs> before, before you've even said, let's go, girls. I'm on that table. And I feel like that song in particular, like it, it's, it's spanned generations because your music has such a wide audience to it from young kids like my son, Robbie. He knows that song. He, he knows that that's one of my favorites. And it's just so fun to see so many generations. Do you, do you feel that? Definitely. I think it's just because the timing of when, when The Woman and Me came out. Parents were bringing their little kids to my concerts. And those little kids have now grown up. And they're having their own little kids. But people like yourself who are still young... You're now coming to the concerts as the adult. You maybe you bring your parents or you, your mama, you know, I'm sorry about your dad. And now you have a child too. And so you, you start bringing your own child. There's just bridges connecting all of us just because of the timing. You know, a lot of people that have older audiences, the, old, the audiences normally grow with them. And so they all grow old together, but, and which I'm sure is what will happen with the parent age of people coming, but they were young parents. So this is, it's like a reunion. You know, I, I, I remember seeing, oh my gosh, so many children in the, and I, I remember thinking, why do I have so many kids at my shows? It's like, a, it's not like I sing children's songs. I was trying to understand it. And now all these kids have grown up and these songs have become the anthems of their, of their youth, you know? So it's this fabulous reunion. And I, I know there's going to be so many people that are going to be excited to see you perform again. And what I found was interesting we were talking about earlier in terms of the parallels between being an athlete and then also being a performer, the training and the effort, the day after day that goes into it. But then not only that, but also the setbacks. 
And one of the biggest things that can set back an athlete are injuries. And you got Lyme's disease. And that was a big setback for you in your singing career. You didn't know what was going to happen to your voice. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about how that made you feel and how you kept going? It was devastating to think I may never sing again. But even during that time, you know, and in the end, I had to have open throat surgery. And that was, I didn't know whether that was going to work. So it was it was a, a long time of feeling grief even that I would never sing again. But there were silver linings in there because right at that moment, I was a new mom. And so for seven years, in those young years, I was just dedicated mom. It was so lovely to just indulge in parenthood, to be there for him so much and to just focus on that. It was, and I loved it. I, I had so much fun being a mom to this little child, you know. So I was a very present mother. And then all through his teens, the same thing. Even though I did start working again, he was old enough to travel everywhere with me. And we, we were, you know, very rarely apart. So that was the silver lining there. And the challenge was great. But I also believed that if I wasn't ever going to be able to sing again, that I would still be able to write songs that other people could sing. And I would get great pleasure out of that. When you became a parent, did that massively change your perspective and you kind of get a different outlook on where you want to put your energy? Well, I was looking forward to being a parent even earlier on, but that was going to be very difficult because I was so overworked. But it was a slowdown period for me. And like I said, that's why it was a silver lining in a way that I couldn't, even if I was expected to, I couldn't get out there and, and get on the road singing and, you know, it wasn't the right time to be making a, a record. So... I just dove into it. I dove into it and enjoyed it. There was I didn't feel that I had to make any sacrifice, which is a difficult thing for a lot of women and for anyone who's a professional that is a majority caregiver for their child. And yeah, I was out there just enjoying my son and, and loving every minute of it and being just being a mom. You know, even though I was sad about my voice, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I, I had him and parenthood things that to me were more valuable than any anything. Oh, that's so like precious to hear. And Asia's a, a lucky person, I must say. I also know that you've written about times where you wanted to like give up and it gets to a point where it's really, really difficult to keep going. What would you say to people that feel like they're in the, that same position, feeling like things are getting really tough and all of the obstacles are against them. What, what would you say to those people? When you get into these moments where it's basically you're just, you're, you're in a uh, situation of being overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed either with, I would say like the most desperate moment in my career was when I was overworked, overcommitted. I was extremely lonely. I think loneliness is the most uh, treacherous human experience that you can have to cope with and I was very lonely during those years it was it was eat sleep work eat sleep work and I still was suffering extreme stage fright at this time so my stress levels were through the roof I had lost a lot of weight I, w I was I just wasn't well I was I wasn't coping and I thought well I, you know I don't see any way out of this I don't see an end 
the schedule just keeps getting heavier and heavier. And ironically, with every rec single that was released, the more success there was, and there was then and there was more things for me to do. It just it was out of control for the level of what I was able to keep up with. I couldn't get perspective because I was I was in such a tight bubble. I just didn't know how to get out. And so I would have needed some sort of mentor or something, someone to step in. I mean, I, I and say, we got to take you out of this for a month or something. But it was crisis that really helped me reset. That was the reset, um, the crisis with my voice. Because once I understood, like through physiotherapy and, every, and everything, that there was a voice still in there. There was a singing voice still in there. I got hope, and I, I hit it hard. I hit the therapy hard. I went for it, and I was able to ch achieve enough to convince myself that I could do it. But the only way that I could do it and sustain it was to get this operation. Now, that was a big choice because that in itself may have damaged my, my, lar my larynx worse, and that could be the end of it. And even if it didn't damage it, would it even work? But because it did work... I'm now like frig stage fright. I've got, <laughs> I can sing again. I can actually do this and I don't know how long it's going to last. So I'm going to, you know, just because the anatomy may not hold up, I'm going to make the most of it and I'm getting up there and enjoying it. And I'm, I don't expect myself to be perfect. And I never should have expected myself to be perfect. So what was I waiting for? But it takes crisis sometimes to wake us up. Absolutely. I mean, that is so true. Now, before I let you go, I wanted to try something new with you. And I would love to ask all of my guests to write a little bit of a made with love letter addressed to a person, place or thing that has literally made them with love. Someone that has enabled you to get to where you are today, something that might be a special place or something that you've used to get to where you are today. Basically, practicing a little bit of gratitude. So... Do you have anything in mind, Shania? Wow. You know, for me, it's air. I, I've so taken that for granted as a singer, as a, you know, with all this COVID going around and you, everybody, you know, suffering through, so many people suffering through, you know, they just run out of air. And I wrote a very inspired song based on that, on this album. It's called Inhale, Exhale, Simply. And it's all about all the things we celebrate thanks to air, like, you know, champagne bubbles and being able to fly and skydiving and sailing and, and breathing. You know, so air, for me as a singer, I never saw it that way until COVID hit us. I had no idea what you were going to, who you were going to write or what you were going to write your letter to. But like you say... People take it for granted every single day. And I am so grateful for you being involved in this podcast. I do have a question about what, what are your hopes for the future? What is next for Shania Twain? What gets you excited now? What gets me excited? I want to uh, write, I want to record more albums. I have not recorded enough albums in my life. I have so much music and creativity to put out there. I've been, I've been quite sparse in releasing albums over my career. Uh, and that's primarily just all things get in the way because I'm not I'm not great at writing when I'm on tour uh, because I'm trying to save my voice. So I'm not I don't get off stage and then go write for three hours using my voice. So I have to be more strict than that. 
So when I have downtime, I, I write and I've got so much music built up. I want to get back in the studio as soon as the tour is over and I want to record, record, record. And that is my, you know, my, as professional goals go, that is a very important one to me. And I'd even like to start writing uh, score music, writing music that takes me beyond the confines of a structured song. Amazing. I mean, I'm so excited to hear what is next from you. And I, again, thank you so much. You are such an icon, not only in the LGBT community for uh, people like me, but also for people who have always felt like they never quite fit in or were told that they can't achieve something. So I just want to say thank you for inspiring so many people and continuing to release so many bangers every time. You just <laughs> you blow it away time after time. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And you are mutually inspiring. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. A huge thank you to you as well for listening. Made With Love was hosted by me, Tom Daly, produced by Joe Haddo and Emma Roberts for Spiritland Productions. And our engineer today was Anthony Shaw. We want everyone to hear Shania's brilliance. So please share this episode with all your friends and family and leave a rating and a review. I'd love to hear what you think and what her music means to you. Do join me again in a week's time when I'll be speaking to another amazing guest about how they've dedicated their life to the things they love. Catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.